Welcome to the True Blue Cubs podcast. I am your host, diehard Cubs fan, stand-up comedian, native Chicagoan, handsome devil, Joe Kilgallen. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. If you are checking out the True Blue Cubs podcast for the very first time, this is a podcast where I like to talk all things Cubs, as you could guess, but I like to do it in a little bit of a different way. I like to analyze individual storylines more than just break down the X's and O's. I figure there's a lot of podcasts out there that you could listen to where they just recap the box score for you. But I know that you have apps on your phone. So why would I bore you with that? You could open up the app on your phone and find out who went two for four, right? So we're going to talk about the fun stuff. That's what I like to do here. Listen to past episodes because each segment kind of holds up on some sports podcasts. If you don't listen to the latest episode, you're, you know, you're not going to go backtracking, right? You're not going to go back to freaking July to hear what I had to say. But with my podcast, you can. Trust me, you can. All right, here, let's start off. I'll give you a little preview. Here's the three main things I want to hit on today. The Cubs lost three out of five to the St. Louis Cardinals, one of those awkward five-game series because of the doubleheader thrown in there. But the big storyline is what the Cubs did. The Cubs did a bad, bad thing. I really believe this. The Cubs did a really, they didn't think big picture. They just kind of thought, oh, this is what teams do. We'll join in. No, they, they honored Albert Pujols and Yadier Molina at Wrigley Field. And I'm going to get into that more. Also, we're going to prove the Brewer. <laughs> we're going to preview the Brewers series. We're going to prove the Brewers series. That's what I almost said there. But now I'll do a little preview. The Cubs take on the Brewers starting tonight up at Wrigley North, aka American Family Insurance Ballpark or something like that. I don't know. It really does. It's really annoying when teams change the name of their ballpark every so often. Because I know the naming rights and it's more revenue and stuff like that. But, like, is there nothing sacred? I hope the citizens of Milwaukee still refer to it as Miller Park. Miller Park was the original name. And granted, I know that's just another corporate name and everything like that. But Miller, Milwaukee, it all goes together. It's a beer town. It's a it's a, one of the most popular domestic beers in the, na- in the nation. Probably one of the most popular. You know, actually, American beer doesn't do too well around the world. I looked into it. But either way, it fits. You know, St. Louis, Bush Stadium, Milwaukee was Miller. Those are two big beer cities. I eh. Wrigley, yeah, some people say that's a gum, but no, Wrigley owned the team too. They happen to own a very successful gum, Wrigley Spearmint, Double Mint Gum. They had some variety, and they owned the ballpark, and, and the team that played in said ballpark. So it's not, I just, American Family Insurance, or what the White Sox do, U.S. Cellular, and now they're called Guaranteed Ray. It's just, I don't know. It's dry. That's what I'm going to call it dry. And you interpret that however you want to interpret. Now let's talk about this. The series had ups and downs as the Cubs took on their hated rivals, the St. Louis Cardinals, those dirty birds. And the ups were, yeah, some nice offensive displays, some really solid pitching, and then some poor offensive displays and some really poor pitching. So it was kind of up and down a little bit. Marcus Stroman uh, had his first bad outing in a while. I wanted to lead off talking about Stroman's performance he pitched the final game of the series and did not look very good as the Cubs ended up falling 8-3. to three. He gave up five earned runs. His first start of giving up five earned runs since June, early June too. And I know there was an IL stint in the middle there, but he has been solid. He's been money his last five or six starts. So I'm not too worried about it. But what I am worried about, when I say I'm not too worried about it, I mean I'm not worried about Stroman going forward. However, I am worried about Stroman going forward against the Cardinals in the near future because I looked up and down that lineup and the career numbers of those hitters against him, not pretty, 
Not pretty at all. Like Goldschmidt owns him in his career. Arenado owns him in his career. So that's that's something where it's like, all right, well, hopefully that's something we could remedy in 2023 and 2024. Because I hope Stroman is part of both those teams. He has two more years guaranteed on his contract. He has his own opt-out. Marcus Stroman could opt-out after next season, which could be interesting. I wonder. I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves. There's a lot of this is off-season talk I'm about to get into. So I should save it for the off-season. But I will let you know because you're probably thinking, you can't tease like that. Tell me. Don't you hate it when you have a friend who's like, oh, dude, you know, mm, and then they go, eh, eh, never mind, never mind, I shouldn't tell you. And it's like, okay, well, now you got to tell me, pal. All right? you, can't, you can't play me like that. That's not fun for anybody. So what I was going to say was, if the Cubs have a bad first half in 2023, I wonder if Jed will look into trading Marcus Stroman. Because if the Cubs are really bad and miss the playoffs, but Stroman's pitching well, say he's having a really good year, ERA, in between 3.5 and 4, or even better, but the Cubs are going nowhere, it would make sense to look to deal him because odds are he would opt out at the end of that year thinking to himself, you know, I want to go play for a contender, even though by 2024, the writing on the wall should be that the Cubs are knocking on that door of contention. I think they should be more than knocking the door in 2023. I want 2023 to be 2015. You know, if Jed and Tom said this is going to be, this is not going to be a rebuild like last time, well, then you better spend big bucks this year because even though we got a lot of great talent and I'm very pumped about this great talent, it's still not quite there. And I want 2023 to be a season in which we flirt with the playoffs, heavily flirt with the playoffs. And I don't want to, I, uh, a lot of people I have you, if you're not going to be a World Series contender, what's the point? What's the point? You got to get to the dance. The playoffs are the dance. If you don't go to the dance, you don't have a chance to get laid. That's how baseball works. There's been plenty of teams that went into October not even close to being a favorite. And they ended up walking away wearing rings. So think about that. You got to get in. You want to be a perennial contender. As many shots at October as possible. This is something that Theo and Jed said way back when they took over in 2020-12 season. Did I say 2020-12? What the hell's wrong with me? In the 2012 season. That was the first year of Theo-Jed era. So here's where I'm going to anger. I'm not mad that we lost three out of five. Right? It would have been nice to have won the series. You always want to win the series against the Cardinals. Because the Cardinals have a six-game lead against uh, on the Milwaukee Brewers. The Cardinals are they're looking like they're going to take the Central. And I wanted, I wanted to get close. Look, the Central's a bad division, too. Also, can we talk about Paul Goldschmidt for a second? Paul Goldschmidt's a guy that I have really no problem with other than he wears the wrong uniform. I liked him enough as a Diamondback. He's one of the best first basemen in baseball there. There was a stretch from 2014 to 2017 when it was like Goldschmidt or Rizzo, who's the best first baseman in base in the National League. And Goldschmidt then was dealt to St. Louis. First two years with St. Louis, good, but you could see like, oh, this guy's on the decline a little bit here. He, Goldschmidt's starting to dip. Still at OPS over 800. Still was a real good, strong hitter, a guy that you'd love to have anywhere in the you know three, four, five of your lineup. But there was a dip. If you look at his career numbers, you see he went to St. Louis. Starting to come down a little bit because what he was 31 his first year there, 31 32. It's like, all right, they say a player's prime is like 26 to 31 32, where you get like the best, and then they start to taper off a little bit there by mid 30s. You know, he is 34 years old, Paul Goldschmidt, and he is easily the MVP of the National League. He is having his best season almost by far, definitely his best season in a Cardinal uniform, but I think the best season of his career. He's 34. I am I suspecting foul plays involved? 
I don't want to say that. I don't want to say that, but it's always suspect. Isn't it sad? We live in a world where it's like a guy out of nowhere. It's not out of nowhere because he's always been awesome. And it's not unheard of for guys to have another resurgence of a year later in their career. You see it more with pitchers, though, than hitters. Because that bat speed starts to dip. It's like, eh. Where pitchers, even if their velocity drops a mile or two, you don't want too big a dip. They're still smart enough. Pitchers seem to get smarter as they age. Where they look at certain hitters and they go, I'm not going to waste my time with this scrub. What's the worst you're going to do? Hit a bloop single? Fastball, fastball, curveball, good night. You know, well, when they're younger, they're, you know, they got the blood flow going, their adrenaline's pumping, and all of a sudden it's like, you just gave up a home run to the worst hitter in baseball. What were you doing? Well, I, I hung a slider. I didn't, you know, they just, they freeze up a little bit. That's something you want to think of. Oh, my wife just sent me a text. Oh, she got her sunny boy. All right. Um, sorry, everyone. My, uh, I, I've been picking up my son from school. My three-year-old goes to preschool. Today, my wife picked him up for the first time. So I was like, let me know when you got the package secure. Um, I'm a little bit of an overprotective dad. Not that I don't trust my wife picking up the kid, but I like to be like, you guys are good. You're safe. All right, cool. I'm going to be that dad where it's like, just let me know you got there. Okay. That's going to be my move. And I'm okay with that. So here's the bad, bad thing part. The Cubs honored before the final game of this series and the final game of the Cardinals playing at Wrigley, Albert Pools and Yadier Molina. They didn't throw in Adam Wainwright, who's also on our final year tour thing they're doing here. They all announced before the season they're going to retire. Pujols, by the way, has been, I don't know, he's hit the fountain of youth the last few weeks. He's been on a on a tear, um, chasing down home run number 700. I think he's at like 692 or something like that, 693. H- hitting doubles left and right. He, the Cubs lost one game, one nothing, and the only run was a Pujols home run. It's like, what, what is this, 2006 all over again? Huh? Flashbacks? No offense except Albert Pujols? Guys spent his entire career as a Cubs killer. And and look, I get it. He's had a great career, and there's times when you just look away from a rivalry and go, this guy did a ton for the game of baseball. I understand that. But no. No, and especially Yadier Molina, who has been nothing but a Cubs hater. You know, it's one thing to get involved in a rivalry and all that, but he is a Cubs hater. And it's crazy to me. Like There are some players where it's like an intense rivalry, but they also have like respect. I remember Bagwell. Sorry, I just hit the mic with my hand. I remember Bagwell and Biggio. Cubs Astros had a pretty strong rivalry going at the time. Not as vile at times as the Cubs Cardinals rivalry, but for a while, and for you younger fans, that's right. The Astros used to be in the NL Central. A little history for you. And I remember being like, yeah, those series would get pretty, pretty heated. Bagwell and Biggio, when they retired, said in an interview that they'd both love to, as fans, go to a Cubs game at Wrigley because they love Wrigley so much. And they said it's such a great fan base and all that. See, so it was kind of like, all right, obviously it's a game and it's competitive and you're going to say stuff and, and you're going to be heated. But at the end of the day, there was respect there. I feel like there was zero respect between Yadier Molina and the Chicago Cubs and vice versa. Pujols, look, he's a first bail Hall of Famer, no doubt. Yadier Molina should not even be a Hall of Famer. He's the most overrated player in baseball history. And I know there's intangibles and there's some stuff that defensive metrics don't measure. Maybe he could get on the veterans committee, but I just think he's wildly overrated. I'm sorry. He's wildly overrated. He hasn't been a good hitter in a long time. Like we're talking about seven seasons now, but because like he blocks some balls in the dirt here there, which I'm not saying isn't valuable, but he's just so overrated. So overhyped. They haven't won a world series since 2011. The last year pools was on the team. Yeah. They've been competitive here and here and there, and they've won a few division titles, but we've been just as good as them. We've been as many playoff appearances, I'm pretty sure. Maybe they've had one more. 
Um, and because they've had a couple more 84 win seasons when they didn't make the playoffs. See, there's not, that's the one thing I, I do kind of agree with when, with the people who are like all about the rebuild every now and then you'll have someone brag about an 83 win season. And it's like, unless you're on the rise or unless you had injuries, it's not something to boast about. Oh, you went a little over 500. There's no glory in that. And there's no, it's not even setting you up better the next year. Cause you don't have a, that good of a draft pick. Just something to think about when it comes to wins, loss records. Cause sometimes it's going to tear the final month of September. Um, yeah. Cause the pressure's off them. There are some hitters who are like that. God, I'm trying to think of a good example for everybody here, but pay attention to that. This September, pay attention to the guys who absolutely mash in September and ask yourselves what they do in April and May. Because even though you can't win a division in April and May, I feel like you could lose it. You have to a terrible start. Your team's playing catch up the rest of the year. It's a mental game. You play 162 of these things. It's mental. That's why when you have a pitcher who, who who's terrible in the first inning, it puts the whole team at a disadvantage because it's like, oh, well, his ERA is only three. I'm like, yeah, but all three runs are always in the first inning. So right away, the whole team is like, all right, now we can't screw around. We got to, not that they would anyway, but it's, it's a very mental game. And if you feel like as players that you're like, oh, we're six games out already and it's May 1st. Now we have to, you know, you have to hunker down. Now to focus, and it's of course it's possible, and teams do it almost every other year, but that's not where you want to be. So when I see these guys, where it's like, oh, he had 400 in the month of September, I go, what do you do in April and May? You know, there's there's players who are slow starters. Don't get me wrong, but if you're going to be a slow starter consistently and a strong finisher in September, or what about the guys who have a killer September when his team's 15 games out of it, but then when his team's a game out, bomb September, not hits bombs like. Bombs is and he's terrible. I'm using one of my stamp comedy terms. Bombs means we did bad. You kill, you crushed, you bomb, you did bad. So, all right. I am against honoring Yachty for that reason. Pujols, if it was just Pujols, I would have kind of, I kind of would have been like not happy about it, but I could have gone along with it. It's like, all right, you know, he'd been an angel the last decade. He is a good humanitarian. There's, there's stuff there, sure. I'm against it in a lot of ways too because we have a man who helped turn the Cubs from lovable losers to flirting with the playoffs a little bit. We still didn't, we never won with him. I'm talking about Sammy Sosa. Sam, how much money did Sammy Sosa make for the Cubs? Way more than we paid him. Way more. I'll give you an example. September 21st, 1997, 13 years old, on my birthday, my dad had been telling me the whole year I was 12, hey, on your 13th birthday, I'll give you some cash. You and your friends could go to a Cubs game all by yourselves. I lived off Irving Park Road, so we walked the five or six blocks down to Addison. Me and my friends hopped on the Addison bus. 13-year-olds, no adult supervision, showed up to Wrigley Field. It was September of 1997. Cubs were terrible that year. We bought four bleacher tickets, six bucks a pop. Four, All four of us got into the bleachers for $24 total. That was 97. Next year, slamming Sammy Sosa, 66 home runs. Him and Big Mac, the home run chase. Captivated a nation. Brought baseball back. The strike of 94 killed baseball, right? Fans had turned away and weren't coming back. That brought people back. Watch the documentary. There's an ESPN 30 for 30, all about Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire in that summer of 98. And he did it again and again. He just, in a, a five-year period, he had 250 bombs, sprinting out to right field, getting the fans going. First game after 9-11, waving old glory. Yes, on the final game of 04, a season in which was very frustrating as a fan and as a player, I imagine. The Cubs blew a chance at a wild card berth. Coming after 2003, which is a heartbreaking finish, the Bartman ball, the Alex Gonzalez booted double play. 
A lot of heartbreak there. And the 04 team was better on paper. Blew a lot of saves, rough bullpen though. Final game of the season, Sosa gets permission from Dusty Baker to leave early. Dusty says, fine, go for it. His teammates were upset. I have an inside source, won't say who. A couple people I've heard this from. Yes, he had permission, but yes, it was still a dumb thing to do, right? Because the players were like, hey, we all wanted to go home early. He used his power, his influence to be able to kind of get the heck out of here. Now, Dusty could have said, no, I don't think that's fair to your teammates and all that, but he didn't. He let him go home early. That's not that's not talked about enough. He had a green light. Was it a bad thing to do his teammates? Yes. If Sammy knows anyone an apology, it's the rest of the 04 Cubs. This idea that Sammy Sosa has to apologize for steroid allegations or for denying it and all that, which he never got busted for a test. He never like tested positive on anything. It was all just, oh, he's in the Balco thing, all this. But guess what? So was Bonds. Bonds never apologized. So were all these other guys. McGuire did own up to it. But there's a few other people who didn't, and they're welcome back. They celebrate Barry Bonds in San Francisco all the time. Mark McGuire in St. Louis. All these guys, they both had hitting coach jobs. McGuire was a hitting coach with the Dodgers. Bonds was a hitting coach with the Marlins. It's insane to me that Sammy Sosa, though, for some reason has to apologize to ownership that didn't even own the team. Didn't even own the team. So, yeah, it frustrates me as a fan because I know what he did for that team. He probably doubled. He probably doubled. Um, sorry, my wife's texting again about our kids. All right. So he probably doubled the franchise value. I'm, I'm serious. He probably did. I don't know what the Cubs were worth in 1997, but I know after, after the 2003 season, they're probably double or triple that. The same way when the Ricketts bought the Cubs in 2009, they're worth $900 million. They're worth $4 billion now. Who do I attribute the most to that? Yes, yeah, the Ricketts crushing the checks. And I was grateful for a lot of what they've done. But Theo Epstein to me is the biggest reason why the Cubs value blew up even more this past decade. Just like it was Sammy from the late 90s to the early 2000s. And I'm not saying the Ricketts don't respect Theo. Of course they should. But I bring that up because I feel like fans forget that a little bit. And I feel like ownership forgot that when they started penny pinching a little bit. It's like, well, he went over the budget here. It's like, you're not going to forgive the guy who won a ring. You're not going to. This guy also, he doubled, maybe tripled tripled he actually tripled the value of your franchise imagine working for a company you triple its value and all of a sudden they get stingy with your budget and start to kind of blame you a little bit how would you feel you'd be pretty frustrated all right the cubs take on the brewers tonight justin Steele, uh not justin steal your heart that guy's been killing it one of the best pitchers in all of baseball in the second half 3.25 era i'm wondering if they're gonna start to watch his innings come september just because why waste some you don't want him to get a sore shoulder and have that run into problems in 2023. Look for him to kick ass tonight as he's been doing. Brewers are, like I said before, six games back of the Cardinals. They are a game and a half out of uh, the wild card. So I want the Cubs to beat up on them. Let's keep them out of October. Let's keep Milwaukee in Milwaukee eating brats and uh, yelling at their kids all throughout October. I'm trying to think of what Wisconsinites do. Um, Hey, there's probably some great Wisconsin. I love Wisconsin, actually. I do, but I, I have to razz Brewers fans, right? That's spotted cow. Delish. All right. So um, about we're hitting about 20-minute mark, and I try to keep this podcast to about 20 minutes. I do it a few times a week. Uh, I'll be back Sunday night or Monday morning for you. Subscribe to the podcast. Tell your friends about it. We got a free Sammy Sosa. We got a free him. This is my last thing. I didn't add to it. My uh, inside sources said they were upset that Sammy left early, but even those same inside sources have told me it's ridiculous, and Sammy should be welcome back at Wrigley. It's crazy that he's not back. Bring Sammy home. If we're going to honor hated rivals, let's bring back one of our native sons, and that is Sammy Sosa. Chicago and through and through.
Cub for life. So think about it. 98 MVP. I mean, not a native Chicago guy, obviously, because he was with the Rangers and the White Sox before us. But that guy did so much in a Cubs uniform. All-time Cubs home run leader. Pastor Ernie Banks. Come on. Come on. Bring him home. Let's go. All right. You guys are the best. Have a great weekend. And as always, 